So last week we talked about, in our first of two mountains, we talked about uh, Mount Sinai, and my husband preached a powerful message that if you haven't had a chance to go back and hear, I encourage you to go back and take a listen. But it talked about the law. And this week I get to talk a little bit about grace, Mount Zion. And I gotta tell you, it has been such a fun time preparing for this message. It's such an enriching time for myself. I'm excited to be able to talk about the grace of God. Amen? So as we get started, I'm going to read just a short testimony to you, talking about the grace of God. And in true fashion, the last couple times that I've gotten to speak, I've actually read a little bit of a story at the beginning. So it's kind of becoming tradition. But this is a testimony about a gentleman by the name of Casey Diaz. I don't know if you've heard him, you might have known his story, but he was quickly, at, at a very young age, became, became one of California's most dangerous criminals and became a murderer at the age of 16. And this is his powerful testimony that I'd love to read to you just for a second. So can we have a little bit of story time for a second? Can we do that? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. All right. These, this is his words. These are his words. In prison, I was a shot caller. Shot callers have an elevated rank in the gang world. They are the power brokers who determine who gets hurt or killed and who doesn't. They command respect. I started down this path as a teenager in South Central Los Angeles, as a leader in the Rockwood Street Locos. I led the way when we invaded homes, broke into cars, ransacked convenience stores, and stabbed rival gang members. It didn't take me long to figure out that the streets were bloody. Most of the time, it was kill or be killed. Eventually, the LAPD caught up with me. I was sentenced to nearly 13 years for second-degree murder, along with 52 counts of armed robbery. I actually breathed a sigh of relief that those were the only charges the cops could pin on me. After about six months, I was transferred to New Folsom State Prison. When the bus dropped us off at the main building, I saw guards pacing on catwalks, their arms cradling mini-14s, small, lightweight, semi-automatic rifles. When the warden was gone, a guard approached me with a manila file in hand. Diaz, follow me, he ordered. I was led inside the prison to an interview room where the guard introduced himself as a gang coordinator. Listen closely, Diaz, he said. We know that you're a banger and a shot caller, so we're putting you in solitary. I had been told by prisoners in pitches that if you're not strong-willed, then solitary confinement could absolutely break you. There were times when I wondered if I would keep my sanity. One time I was lying on my bed listening to the voices outside. I heard an older woman say, is there someone in that cell? She sounded Southern and spoke with a syrupy drawl. Yes, ma'am, the guard said, but you don't want to deal with Diaz. You're wasting your time. Well, she answered, Jesus came for him too. She approached the cell. Young man, can I speak with you? Looking through the open slot in my gate, I couldn't see anything except for the guard's boots and a pair of spindly legs. How are you doing, she asked. I couldn't be better, came my sarcastic reply. Young man, she said, I'm going to pray for you, but there's something else I want to tell you. Jesus is going to use you. By now, I was certain she was crazy. Couldn't she see I was locked away in solitary confinement? I don't think that's going to happen, I said, but she persisted. Young man, every time I'm here, I'm going to come by and remind you that Jesus is going to use you. A year or so later, I was lying down in my cell daydreaming when I turned toward the wall opposite my bed. On that wall, something strange was happening. A movie was playing, a movie about my life. I saw myself as a young child walking the old neighborhood at 9th and Kenmore. 
I witnessed incidents from my early days with the gang, everything in picture-perfect detail. Then I saw a bearded man with long hair carrying a cross. As he trudged along, a mob of angry people shouted at him. When he arrived on top of a knoll, rough-looking men nailed his hands and feet to the wooden beams and raised the cross so it stood between two other men on crosses. What got to me the most was when this man looked at me and said, Darwin, I'm, going, I'm doing this for you. I shuddered. Apart from the guards in my family, no one knew my real name. Everyone called me Casey, my nickname for as long as I could remember. Then I heard the sound of breath leaving him. At that moment, I knew he had died. That's when I hit the floor in the middle of the cell. I started weeping because I knew somehow that this was Almighty God, even though I didn't understand what he had done for me. After hitting the floor, I knew I had to get on my knees. I started confessing my sins. God, I'm sorry for stabbing so many people. God, I'm sorry I robbed so many families. With each new confession, I felt another weight come off my shoulders. When I finished, I knew something major had happened. And that was the start of my journey of faith. Eventually, I was released from solitary confinement and returned to the mainline prison population where I was beaten for being a Christian, turning my back on my fellow gang members. But I was okay with that because I was no longer a shot caller. I had found a new calling, telling other inmates about Jesus. And beyond that, if you read the story of Casey Diaz, he didn't just go on to tell other inmates about Jesus, he actually became a pastor. And he pastors, and then he got married, and he has kids, and they're graduating from college, and they're going into the ministry, and it's pretty incredible to see what God does with a life. Amen? So today we're talking about grace. And I'll reference the story back again in just a minute, but I think as we get started talking about grace, it's really important to understand what mercy is. I don't know about you, but I've heard both of those words thrown around grace and mercy a whole lot throughout my life. And it wasn't until recently that I really began to discover the difference between them. And there is a big difference between grace and mercy. Both are good and both I want in my life. Can I get an amen? But to understand the difference, I think will help us as we even read scripture and you understand the character of God. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I'm gonna say that again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. If you deserve, you did a crime, it's for example, like somebody who committed a crime, take Casey Diaz for example, and they went before the judge, Mercy would be the judge saying, all right, you did the crime, but you don't have to pay the, the fine. <laughs> that rhymes. Did you see that? You did the crime, but you don't have to pay the fine? Okay. Tough crowd. Okay. Um, but it would be that you don't have to pay the penalty for what you did, right? Mercy is just not getting what you deserve. But grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'm so grateful that we have a God of mercy, that we don't get what we deserve, because we all deserve hell, because we couldn't, we just sin, there's no way that we could do it on our own, right? But God said, he, well, he didn't even have to say you don't have to have hell. He didn't even have, he didn't have to save us. He didn't have to do anything that he did, but he could have just said, okay, fine, no hell. But then he went to step even beyond that, beyond his mercy, and he gave us grace. 
And now he's given us what we don't deserve, which is salvation and so much more. Can I get an amen? amen. So mercy is not getting what we deserve, but grace is getting what we do, getting what we don't deserve. But grace is simply who God is, my friends. Grace is God's character. And I want to make sure that we understand that grace isn't something new that happened just in the New Testament when Jesus came on the scene. Our God has not just all of a sudden decided to be graceful after Jesus died. That is an extension of his grace. But his character of grace has been present all the way through the beginning. Amen? We were created in his image, and we had a beautiful relationship with Jesus. We were walking and talking, able to stand and be in his very presence. But then something happened. We sinned. Adam and Eve ate an apple. That sounds trivial to some, that it's just an apple. But my friend, when they ate the apple, they made a decision that their way was better than God's way. And they decided in pride and arrogance that they were really better or on an equal level with God. And that opened the door for sin in their life. And we began to see the drastic effect of what sin can do. And it immediately brought separation from God. Not because, mind you, and this is where some of us have understood, but not because God doesn't want to be with sin, but because of what, what, what the, the two cannot exist. He is so holy. He is so righteous. He is so good. And guess what? That's how he created us to be able to be in his presence. We could stand in his presence, but when we opened the door to sin, there was this great divide that happened. And in what we were living in that fallen nature, that sin-filled world couldn't stand in the presence of God. It couldn't stand in the presence of God. But God immediately, in his mercy and in his grace, put a plan in motion to pay the debt we could not pay and sent his son Jesus. My friends, if you can picture, and I've shared this illustration before many times, but I just want, I think it's worth saying again. When our twins were born, they were little, they were preemies, and any mom, dad in the room, when your children have been premature, who've experienced the NICU, you understand what I'm about to say. They were too little, Isaiah was two pounds, 14 ounces, and Kylie was three pounds, 15 ounces. And when they were born, they had them, um, you know, just all connected to all the things. And in the first couple of weeks, we'd go in and visit them. But it was so hard as a parent because as a nurturing mom, everything inside of me just wanted to pick my babies up and hold them and tell them it's going to be okay. Mamas, you understand? <laughs> you just want to hold them and love them, and that's what nurturing is. But unfortunately, because they were so little, any kind of stimulation was too much for them, and it would make all their stats on the machine go crazy. So by me touching them, coming close, and drawing them close to me actually made hurt them. Can you picture God, a father, who created us to be in relationship with him? Now, all of a sudden, because he's so good, he's so holy, so righteous, because of a decision that we made to say our way is better, which sound familiar? I don't think that was the only time mankind ever said that our way is better than God's way, right? That's sarcastic, but you know, okay. 
But because of a decision that we made to say that our way is better, we know better, we want to be a God in our own eyes and make those decisions, there was separation that happened. And God knew, he's like, I want my kids back, but if they come in relationship with me, it'll destroy them right now. So I have to send my son Jesus to pay the penalty, to pay for that sin. There had to be a payment of that sin. That is where his grace and his mercy began to take effect. Amen? So he devised a plan so that we could have right relationship, come back into relationship with him. That is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. So grace is not new, my friends. Grace has, he, God has always been a God of grace. He's always been a God of mercy. You can see in his dealings with all the Old Testament individuals like Noah. Noah, Noah was a drunk. He was. He was a drunk, but God extended his grace and mercy on Noah. Moses, Moses was a murderer, and then he had a speech impediment, and God extended grace and mercy on Moses, amen? David, King David, a man after God's own heart, he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, right? He wasn't perfect, but God extended grace and mercy to David. Abraham and Sarah, the father of our faith, they, Abraham and Sarah had had a promise from God, but they decided that it was taking way too long and they were gonna take matters into their own hands, caused a whole lot of trouble along the way by doing Doing that, I might add, but God even had grace and mercy on Abraham and Sarah. We serve a God of grace. It is in his character. Even the fact that he gave us the law was grace. It was the ability for us to get a good picture of who he is so that we could see where we went wrong and that we could never fulfill it on our own, but he didn't just leave it there. Even when we, he gave us the law, he implemented sacrifices. So he showed us how to temporarily take care of the sin of our, in, our inability to fulfill that law until Jesus would come. Talk about grace and mercy. We serve a God of grace. It is in his character. Let me read to you a scripture that I love. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That is your God slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Grace is a part of his character. So God also gives us grace for salvation. We talked about it a little bit before, but I wanna read some scriptures to you because mercy has been extended, but grace has also been extended to have something we didn't deserve. The beauty of grace, and I hope you hear the theme all the way through the message today, is that you could never earn or deserve grace. It's completely undeserved, which means as I read scripture and I talk to you about what grace brings to you, those little voices in your head that say, oh, but I disqualified myself. Oh, but that's for somebody else and not for me. Oh, that person's more worthy of it. Surely they would have more grace than myself. Those are not voices from your father or your creator. Those are voices from the enemy and voices that we've chosen to adopt as our own thoughts and outlook on our own life. And we've chosen to live our life from that place, but it's not scripture. It's not what your father planned for you. And grace is a free gift, but it is something that we have to receive. Amen? It's a choice. So we have grace for salvation. What a beautiful good news. Now, 
I gave the tech team so many scriptures because there's so many good scriptures. But guys, I'm not going to have time to read through all of them, but they will be on the app, so you can go back and look at them. But Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's getting what we don't deserve. That grace, that's getting what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve salvation. Can I get an amen? We, but it was given to us. I never, we could never earn it. You can never be good enough to receive it. But what's so great about that is it means that every one of us can receive it because none of us would ever be good enough. So it's not that this person's good enough or I have to do enough good things to get it. God is giving us what we don't deserve. And one of the scriptures that I'm going to read a little bit later on talks about his very throne being a throne of grace. The throne that he sits on is a throne of grace, meaning he, that is, when you approach the throne, it's the throne of grace. Getting, he gives us what we don't deserve. How incredible is that? Oh my goodness. Listen, I have just been, I was crying before I walked in. I was crying through worship. I was so blessed by who our Father is. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Let me say that again. You can never earn it. Listen, my kids were just in a, um, a Bible class. They attend a Christian uh, school. And um, one of them came home, my daughter came home, and she said that the class was talking about um, everybody deserving to be saved and going to heaven. And the question came up, can murderers go to heaven? And some of the kids in the class, they're like, but they don't deserve it. They were cruel. They were wicked. They couldn't get their head around somebody that awful deserving to go to heaven. And I get it because the world will look at that and be like, this is the, you know, people are, can be really bad. The low of the low. They've treated people bad. They've taken lives. They've been terrible. They don't deserve it. But that's what forgiveness is. That's what my daughter finally, she said, she just kind of got frustrated and she doesn't speak up a whole lot. And she said, but that's what forgiveness is. It's free. That's what grace is, is that we don't get what we deserve. And it doesn't make sense to us all of the time because we think that it should be based on our morality or based on how good we are. But that is what Jesus did. It's freely given to us and it's not gonna compute in our brains sometime. But that's the goodness of our God. Can I get an amen? It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen? 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. Oh, it's hard to choose. Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, one more. <laughs> Romans 5.15-17, but the gracious gift is not like the offense. 
For if by the offense of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one offense, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many offenses, resulting in justification. For if by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we have grace for salvation, which we could never earn, we could never deserve, we could never sometimes have a hard time comprehending, but we have grace through salvation. But grace isn't just for salvation. Our God is a God of more than enough. He goes above and beyond. He's abundant. We just have such a good Father. Grace brings an empowerment which we also do not deserve apart from Jesus. Grace is an empowerment to live the life He called us to live and to be who He called us to be. So we're not just have grace for salvation, but my friends, grace has been given over our lives to be all that God called us to be. The Holy Spirit coming into our lives is an act of grace. It's being given something we didn't deserve, but we can receive it because of Jesus. Amen? Because Jesus washed us clean and made us whiter than snow, we can receive it because of Jesus. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. This is my scripture I referenced earlier. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. But listen, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in the time of need. There's help in the time of need. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let me stop right there. Some of us in the room think, okay, we got our head around the salvation piece, right? You're like, I can receive salvation. I, I can do that. But now to realize that there's a grace that God brings into our life to be able to do what he's called us to do to be able to fulfill, to be able to walk the journey that we're on. And there's grace that God, is available to us for different seasons in our lives to do what God's called us to do in those moments. Mamas, there's a grace in your life. There's a grace available to be a mama. Dad, there's a grace available to be a dad. There's a grace available to be, to do all that God's called you to do. He doesn't just save you and leave you alone. There's grace. Remember, it's getting what you don't deserve. Do I deserve to have grace on my life for what I'm going to do next? No. Could I earn it? No. Do I feel like at times somebody else deserves it better than I? Of course I do. Of course I look and compare it. How many of us don't have comparative reality sometimes? Of course I look at other people and think, well, they deserve it more. God will give it to them more sometimes. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that there's a grace on my life. I can look to him. I can approach the throne of grace with boldness. I have the Holy Spirit. You can read all through the Bible, all of the spiritual gifts, all the things that he gives out. It's all grace. It's beginning what we don't deserve. 
It's grace, which means you don't deserve it, which means you can't earn it, you can't be better for it, right? That means that you get to approach the throne of grace and go receive what he's providing for you freely through Jesus to do whatever he's called you to do. I don't know if you understand, (laughs) that like sets me free in my life right now. Because I don't have to qualify myself. I don't have to pay enough penance. I don't have to do it on my own, and neither do you. It's there because of the grace of God. It is right there. Whatever you're walking through, there is a grace that's available. Even Paul. First Corinthians 15, oh, well, uh, Second Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace over to you. I've read this already. Overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. First Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. Come on. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So you're not in this alone. You're not on this journey alone. You're not walking through life alone, right? You have the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us by the grace of God. There is a grace on your life to walk this out. And even Paul is saying, listen, it's the grace of God in me. It's the grace of God in me. He worked hard. But he understood that he didn't do it in his own strength and he couldn't qualify himself. It was grace. It was the grace of God in me. And every time you say it's the grace of God in me, you realize I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. It's grace given. Even at Stephen, the martyr Stephen, Acts 6, 8 says this. And Stephen, it says he was full of grace and power. He was performing great wonders and signs among the people. He was full of grace and power. He didn't earn it. He didn't qualify himself to be that way. He knew where it came from. He was full of grace and power. I think that's pretty awesome. And finally, this one gets me all the time too. Grace uses us in spite of our weakness. Grace does not allow weakness to disqualify us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for how power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, there's an illustration that I wanted to show, show us. Um, and actually, I borrowed it 
Um, I think Joyce Meyer had done it at one point in time. And so can you just give it up for our amazing tech team? Because I told him kind of what I wanted, <laughs> especially Eric Gray. And he looked at me, and then he put a lot of hours, and he made it happen. So can you just, we really do have the best team. They're here all the time. And they're behind the scenes, but they're very much preaching the gospel. So this illustration, I wanted to bring it to us. If you were shopping in a, um, I guess you, I'm not very much of a green thumb, but I guess you could find these like at a nursery, right? Like a Home Depot. You can giggle, it's okay. Um, so, but if you were to shop, which one of these would you purchase to take home? Because you, I mean, would you buy the cracked one to take home and plant pot, like soil and flowers in? No, you wouldn't buy that, right? Because you think this isn't gonna work very well and why would I spend all of this money for something with all of the cracks, right? So uh, we would most often grab this one and take it home. You know, it's interesting that when the, well, let me just show you this illustration. Can you just turn the lights down? I like to say that God uses cracked pots, but you know, God uses, well, we're all cracked pots, right? So we can say that. You know, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he does not disqualify us based on cracks in our lives, which cracks could be things that we've done, we could be broken. But truth is, is we've all got them because none, none of us are, are perfect, but it, they don't disqualify us from being used by God. And one of the things that I love about the Lord is that you know, there's a light inside of both of these. But watch what happens. I mean, you can see it a little bit, right? But watch what God does. You can leave the lights down just for a second so that we can look at that. We would often pick the perfect pot, but God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. So we get to stop using our cracks as an excuse. Don't let your cracks disqualify you. God doesn't waste anything. In the Casey Diaz story, he was a shot caller, California's most dangerous criminal, became pastor, husband, and father. Grace doesn't make sense to our natural mind, and it's not based on our earthly qualifications. It is undeserved. Through grace, you are freed from feeling that you have to hide your sin from him. God's grace enables you to be all he has called you to be. Because of grace, you no longer need to compare yourself to others or feel God has blessed them more. You no longer need to live in shame. Grace pretty much obliterates shame. When we live in shame, we live in guilt, when we live in condemnation, that's not what God's designed us to live in. He hasn't designed us to live under guilt, shame, condemnation, right? He designed us to live under the grace, under the mercy that he's given us. So it's oftentimes we carry around guilt, we carry around shame, we carry around condemnation that wasn't meant for a child of God to have. 
But then with that, we often disqualify ourselves from being able to be used by God or to think that he's with us or thinking that, hey, I don't deserve certain things or God can't use me in that moment or God can't do that inside of me. So we pay more attention to those cracks, but God's like, look, Dude, all, none of us are perfect, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but his grace and mercy, and so he likes to shine through us. And even the scripture says, in our weakness, he, power is perfected in our weakness. Let me read that scripture one more time so you see it. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weakness, in insults and distress, and persecutions and difficulties in behalf of Christ. For I am weak, then I am strong. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Even when it doesn't make sense, we can't earn it, we don't deserve it. Grace is there. We have grace for salvation. Grace is who God is. It is his character. We have grace for salvation. We have grace for empowerment. And we have grace that God's grace eradicates shame out of our life. There's no more shame. That pot could originally be walking around carrying shame, thinking, gosh, look at me. I'm not perfect. I don't have everything put all together. There's all of these other things. Maybe I did X, Y, and Z, but look what God did. God shines through all of those things in our lives. Amen? So we don't carry, shame doesn't fit anymore, guilt doesn't fit anymore, condemnation doesn't fit anymore, it doesn't fit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let me turn these off. Guys, you can bring the lights back up. God is so good. I love the Lord so much. So walking in grace, receiving the grace of God. Say, Pastor Maria, okay. That's great. So I hear that. There's judgment, shame, guilt, self-reliance, pride, and fear. I've lived with this. I've lived with shame. I've lived with some guilt. There's always this heavy thing that I've carried around me. How do I break out of this, my friend? How do I receive the grace of God? I don't want to. I hear what you're saying. Maybe I haven't yet been able to receive salvation. Maybe today's your day to receive salvation. Maybe you have received salvation, but you want to move on to the empowerment piece where you know that God is with you every single day, that you can't earn him being right there. Whatever it is, wherever, it, wherever you're at, my prayer today was that we would leave here this morning free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, no longer allowing the trap of the enemy because when you live in that place, you live so much smaller than where you're supposed to be. You don't show up like the children of God that you are. You don't walk in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that you have. You shrink down and it's such a trick of the enemy to keep you so much smaller than you are and to keep you miserable. There's no joy and freedom in living in condemnation. There's no joy and freedom in living under shame. There's no joy and freedom for carrying around all the sins like you feel like you owe it to the Father to carry them around on your back for the rest of your life when he already sent his son Jesus to pay for them. It's not yours to carry anymore anyway. And by the way, you carry them around and holding on to, onto them like some sort of penance doesn't glorify God. It doesn't bring glory to what he did. It's you looking at it and saying, well, I need to do it now. Jesus's work wasn't complete and finished on the cross. My friend, Jesus's work was complete and finished on the cross. You don't have to carry and walk around with that in your life. Amen. You're not earning anything by it. You're not qualifying yourself by that. You're just living miserable. And it's weighing you down from being everything you're supposed to be. But I know that God wants to set you free today. I know that he does not want you to leave here the same way that you walked in. I don't care if you, this, is, this could be your, your, your day to give your life to the Lord. He doesn't want you to leave here not knowing him. 
but he also doesn't want you to leave here Christian. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. Some of us have, have carried guilt and shame and we've just kind of like, maybe it's not been this big thing, but we've learned how to live with it a little bit, being just tolerate it being a part of our life. But it's time to break that off. It's time to just say, I don't want to carry that anymore. God set me free. It's, and there are moments that I tell you what, there's a power at the altar. And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity when, in, in just a couple minutes to come down to this altar and to lay that down and to say, I'm done carrying this. I'm done letting this manipulate my life. I'm done letting this weigh me down and play because I want the fullness of what Jesus paid for in my life. And we're going to believe God for a miraculous breaking that stuff off. Do you know that those are even spirits that love to attach themselves to you, to just be there to badger you, to insult you, just to keep you down? The enemy loves to do that. And by keeping that around, we keep, we entertain that. I mean, when you put it in that perspective, I'm not leaving here today with it. So we're going to open up the altars in just a second for you to do that. But how do you walk out of it? Well, one, we repent of carrying all of that. We repent. You can come to an altar, lay it down. By faith, you receive grace because it's there, but we receive it. How do you do that? By faith, by trusting God, by taking him at his word, so picking up and saying, God, I take you at your word. If you said that I'm forgiven, if you said that I'm free from that, I don't have to carry that. So by grace, which is something that I don't deserve, I'm going to pick it up. Your mind might be going crazy because it goes against every way that you've been taught to think. And it may be arguing with you in your brain, but by faith, I'm going to do it anyway because that's what you said. And then it's a renewing of your mind. It's a daily process because that may, those thoughts may come back and say, well, what about this? Or you did this. And you go back to the Word of God and you exchange a wrong thought for the right thought. You get into the Word of God and you work and you walk that out. Can you get amen? Grace is a spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. So, we're going to give you an opportunity to give your life to the Lord. The Bible's very clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short, right? None of us are perfect. We all need a Savior. So I'm going to challenge you not to leave here today without making it right with Him, coming into right relationship with Him. I don't care. This may be your very first time. Or maybe you used to be in church, you walked away, but you just want to make sure that you don't want to leave today without making it right. So I'm going to ask everybody just to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And on the count of three, if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right at your seat. And then we're going to pray together as a congregation. I'm not going to have you come forward, but we're going to pray at our seat. If you want to give your life to the Lord for the first time, or maybe rededication on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand up. I'm looking. There's a hand there. Praise God. Two hands at the back. Thank you. Hand over here. Thank you. And there's sure, I'm sure there's more that I've missed. Praise God. All right, church, let's pray this prayer together. There's nothing special about the words in the prayer. It's just the position of your heart that you mean it. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. Dear Father, I thank you that you see me just as I am. 
I know that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.